If you want to be at the tip of the spear of sports performance, the answer is simple. Simply Faster is your insider's edge to maximize results with the highest quality premier sports equipment in the business. Visit Simply Faster and level up. Welcome, everyone, to the Companions of the Compendium podcast. Today, I have sprint superstar, Olympic medalist, world record holder, world champ, Bianca Knight. I am so very excited to have her here. I used to be a little bit of a fanboy. I actually didn't tell her that before we started recording here. But back in the days of like Diestat being the big place to go find high school sport athletes and track and field and just how dominant she was. And I think I actually had some athletes at the junior uh, Olympics in USATF where she might've been at as well. So I've been a fan for a really long time and knew there was a lot of talent, positive energy and potential there. And it's always fun to see someone realize that at the highest stage to take themselves from being a high school superstar to an NCAA superstar to becoming one of the top you know, athletes in their field and being a member of one of the most special relays in world history. So Bianca, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. So talk to us about your development as an athlete, being one of those high school superstars through college and then into this, you know, world champion, world record, Olympic champion. Talk to us about that evolution and that process that you went through. To be very honest with you, it all unfolded pretty quickly. Um, I started running track at the age of 12, which in track is kind of considered a late bloomer because people mm -hmm. usually start around five or six. So um, three years after my very first, you know, after competing, I made my first world youth team and I went over to compete for USA and Marrakesh, Morocco. Um, I came back with two goals and a silver. And I think that was like the highest placement so far for a youth athlete um, coming back with, you know, that that high of a middle count uh, or two goals and a silver rather. Um, I went on from there to break the high school national record indoors in the 200. I absolutely love indoors. Um, of course, the 200 is my favorite event. So um, I enjoyed that. And then I went to college and broke the collegiate record indoors and went on from there to um, 2011. I led off on the world championship relay. And I think that was our first world championship medal since like 2005. I'm not sure, gold. Um, I think right. it was 2005, I'm not sure. But um, it was great to be a part of that because of course our relay is always so talented, but it just seemed like we were just plagued with issue after issue after issue and it just never was able to really show how great we were and then of course all of that led to me being on that third leg of the just notorious four by one world record holding world record breaking relay and that's pretty my career in a nutshell like I said it happened really fast I didn't have a lot of gaps uh, it's like as soon as I got into it, things got real and it got serious and I had fun pretty much the entire time. I never had a chance for it to kick in how good I was or how talented I was. When I was coming out of high school, uh, I was class of 2007 and class of 2004, 5, 6 and 7 were extremely fast. They were a group of just overly talented I mean, the pool was just saturated with talent. It was it was crazy. So I never looked at what I was doing as um, 
any different than what I was used to. Like it, I was used to seeing that. So I felt like what I was doing was kind of like what I was supposed to do, even though it came along with, um, when I look back now, it's like I broke so many records. I set so many records that are still there. Um, I neglected to mention that I'm on the World Junior Championship World Record Team as well for the four by one. And I laid off on that. So um, when I look back, it's like, oh, wow, I did a lot of things that I, don't, I didn't really realize until people ask me about my career. Um, um, but o overall, I mean, I had a really good time and it happened really fast. And of course I exited re relatively young. I was 26, pretty much exited at my peak, uh, just because it actually started getting serious around that time. And I realized that, you know, Hey, um, I'm not as invested as I thought I was. Like I'm okay with how serious this feels now. It doesn't feel fun anymore and I'm ready to go do something fun. So I moved on at 26. Yeah, that is a little bit early, but I think, you know, if you think about your experiences and looking back on that, you did accomplish like everything there was to accomplish. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, I always admire when someone leaves on their own terms mm -hmm. before mother nature tells them it's time to go or right. to leave with a massive injury. You know, that's one of those things that's tough because you just never know when your time is to be called, but everybody's time is to be called. So when you get to make that decision and you get to make that choice, I mean, there really isn't much more that was left for you to accomplish in that particular aspect of our sport. Mm -hmm. I know we're going to talk about a lot of other things that you're looking to do and, and to invest in for our community and to, mm -hmm. to be even better, which is fantastic. So talk to me, though. I am interested and curious about what do you think put you so far ahead in so many ways over the 04, the 05, the 06, and the 07 class of, of young women and, and women that were in the sport at that time? Why were you, what set you apart, allowing you to break those records, especially indoors and all that kind of stuff? Um, I honestly believe that the reason why I broke them is because I didn't know what they was in the first place. Um, <laughs> I never, I never chased anything. My only goal was to just win and to run as fast as I could. Uh, I did, I, I have never broken a record that I knew what it was ahead of time. Even in NCAA, I did not know what the record was until I got so close to it in the prelims that the announcer was like, that is just three 100 shy of the NCAA record because I ran 43 in the prelims and the record was like 40 or something. It was 41 mm -hmm. or something like that. I don't know. But when he said that, I was like, oh, okay. Like, okay, now that was the very first time and it was the only time that I ever knew what a record was ahead of time and I set out to break it. Um, otherwise, I just ran and I ran fast and someone would tell me like, do you know you hold the junior class record for this? Do you know you hold hold, hold this? Tamari Davis, uh, the phenomenal athlete who you know left high school early, I didn't know that I held those records until she broke them. Um, her um, what last year uh, a school last year, but before that I didn't know and I never knew. So I think that's what allowed me to just run, just run and have fun. I didn't, I never had that pressure of, oh my goodness, I was so close to this record. I was so close. I'm gonna try to get it next time. I never ran like that. I just wanted to win. And again, with such how talented in the pool of athletes we had, you had to run pretty fast to win. So it just kind of came with it. I trained and I ran fast and the records, you know, were just broken in the process. That's awesome. So when we're looking at those experiences, 
now post athletic career and, and going out on your own terms, how did that athletic experience inform the you want to do now and how did it prepare you to get those things to the finish line now um the whole experience I, like i would like you said i started the club level and i made it all the way to the professional level so i kind of know something that can be done at every level to help each and every athlete improve so my journey really just i think it, that was the purpose of my journey like i said i left at 26 and i was really young i still had a lot in the tank but I wanted to use my experiences to bring along the next athlete. I wanted to share the things that I learned like, hey, in high school, I'm gonna be very honest with you. I was just having fun. And you know, when you're having fun with something it's much easier to do it that way, it's less pressure, blah, blah. But you know, kids these days are tasked with the um, pressures of social media and I didn't have that. So it's kind of different navigating it now to try to tell them what I would like for them to do. But um, just because it's so different. Um, back then we were outside a lot and we, I mean, we weren't on the phone as much. Um, we didn't know what other people were doing to the, to the point that we compared ourselves so much like the kids do now. Um, so I wanted to create spaces that let, let athletes understand that, hey, everybody progresses in a different time, a different speed. Some have breakout years much later or much sooner than others. Like always look at your own yourself and your own progression to, to kind of fit, configure where you are and how well you're doing. I mean, everybody wants to win and that's okay, um, but Always, it always can be one winner. So, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen that way all the time. Uh, college, I, I made the best of it when I was there. I will say, um, I wish that I went into college with a different mentality. I trained solo pretty much all the time as a youth, even in high school, and maybe even with the guys sometimes, but I never was a part of a team. So I kind of went there looking for that team feeling that team just aspect and finally being a part of a group in a club, you know, just being around a lot of people. And it was actually not that. Um, I was the only person that signed that year. So I didn't have a group of girls to come in with my class to, you know, kind of bond with. And when I got there, it was, I mean, track is still, it's a team sport, but it's very individual. So it was still very competitive and it was still, I don't know, it just didn't feel the way that I thought it was going to feel. And I'm one of those perfect people who's easily, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm easily distraught. <laughs> so I was not having a good freshman year at all. I felt like I was just so far away from home and I did not get what I wanted, you know, in terms of, you know, that camaraderie I was looking for. So I actually wanted to transfer because I thought maybe if I went to a different environment, then I would feel better. And Given the time, I, I wanted to transfer about two months after I got there. So it's like you haven't been here long enough for it to be right. a successful transfer. <laughs> like you probably will be ineligible. You may not be able to compete or anything. So um, honestly, I just worked my butt off and I said, you know, I'm gonna keep. I'm just gonna keep training because you know, some I keep hearing it's pro stuff. I keep hearing, you know, people. You know, I think Lashawn Merritt. Before me, it was Lashawn Merritt who went turned professional really, really early during the indoor season. So. Um, you know, I didn't think it was a reality, but I was going to find out, you know what I mean? So, right. um, I just put my head down, ran hard, prepared myself for the NCAA championships. And it's pretty much history after that. I went on to be a professional athlete. And again, looking back, my advice to anyone who's interested in 
turning professional early. It's not so much about if uh, the, the age is not so much the factor as it is the mentality. Um, I think if you have a good team of people around you, like let's say I would say someone like Sydney McLaughlin, it seems like her transition has been really good. She has a great team around her. Um, I mean, and then I don't know her personally. So for all I know, you know, she's very stressed and she just hates it. But from <laughs> what I can see, she seems very composed. <clears throat> she seems very just like she's supposed to be there and she's having a great time. So it's not so much about the age, it's the mentality. Because when you go from high school or college to being a professional athlete, you're about to be competing against people who can jog your PR. So if you're not prepared to run your personal best every time you step on the track, then for some people, that can be very discouraging. It could be very discouraging to run your absolute best and you're in the bed. So um, I always want kids um, or just young athletes to remember, like, look, man, college and high school is fun. You probably are going to win so many of those races without putting very much effort in because there's no pressure. When you're a professional athlete, you are you have to be prepared to run right away. There is no build-up period. There is no trials. There is no conference. There is no, no, you have this meet this one race, this one round. And then you have to get on a plane and fly across the country, get out, shake out, and you have to do it again. They do not care about their excuses. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. You are under contract now. This is no longer fun for you. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, we want you to have fun, but this is a business. This is a job and you need to be prepared to do your job. So, you know, if you never traveled out the country before, it's something to consider. If you never traveled out the country before by yourself, that's something to consider. Um, it's just like, you know, they throw you out there and you're expected to be able to move around when you land at the airport. You need to know where to go, where to be, what to do, get to the hotel. Because for a lot of those meets, there's not someone always there to pick you up. So like I said, it's, it's a lot of stuff that goes on that if you're not ready for it, it's not going to work out to you. And then everyone will go, well, what, whatever happened to what's her name or what's his name? I mean, it wasn't the talent. Everybody knows that. Like, it wasn't the talent, but you need more than that at the next level. You need way more than that. Yeah, I always think, I love the mentality of, you know, what's the difference between a legend and a star? You know, the star is the one who's able to sort all that stuff that you just listed out, being mm -hmm. able to be independent, problem solving on your own, having, however, still having maybe a good support team to fall back on or to help kind of smooth out some of those rough spots. You know, an example of a legend to, you know, versus a superstar, there's a situation with this guy. He's, he's an Olympic silver medalist known as Christian Cantwell, one of the top throwers in the world. Mm -hmm. And he's telling crazy stories about like, how, you know, he had to sleep on a, on a park bench because of how the meat management situation was jacked up and they didn't have the person where they needed to be. And there wasn't the guy in the car to grab him and all this kind of stuff. And I just can't imagine myself seeing in, you know, Krakow or Warsaw or uh, Lucerne or mm -hmm. Oslo or whatever, when you have one of these European diamond league meets and here's this guy who's one of the best throwers on the planet. And um, he's sitting on a bench randomly in the middle of Europe. And so if you're an independent individual professional athlete and you're not ready for anything and anything that can happen, you know, it, it can be crazy. And I think now answer this for me. I get a feeling from you that 
based on what you were saying about Texas and that experience, and then based on what your situation was in high school, mm-hmm. I feel like you you had a bit of an independent spirit that kind of gave you an advantage in these professional settings so that you could manage and survive that because you had to do that anyway as an athlete. Am I right about that? You are absolutely correct. Um, when I made the team in 2005 to Marrakesh, Morocco, I had to fly. That was my first international trip and I didn't make it with a team, you know, my own team. I had to meet, you know, the rest of the teammates in New York, I think. So I flew from Jackson, Mississippi to New York by myself. And then, you know, we went over to Marrakesh, you know, together as a team and everything. But um, some of those athletes had the luxury of, you know, people from their state and people that they actually were familiar with because they had been competing for so many years. They had friends pretty much on the team and I didn't. So uh, it was still pretty individual and I still felt, you know, pretty singular, I should say, even though I had so many people around. So traveling to Europe by myself and maneuvering around airports and all of that stuff, that was pretty easy for me right away. So with that, and we're talking about the Texas situation, my buddy, Mike Cunningham, who interviewed on the (laughs) Gill Athletics podcast or Connections podcast, he asked me to ask you this question. Why then Texas versus Mississippi State or another state school? What was kind of the solidification point for you to choose Texas over some of more of those local universities? At that time, I want to say Mississippi State was known for their distance and their field um, at that time. And then Ole Miss, I want to say when I was coming out, that's when they were building that beautiful stadium that they have now, but it was not there yet. And of course, Brittany Reese went there. So again, another school who was churning out tremendous distance athletes and field athletes, but at that time, they were not um, developing sprinters, um, to the point where I was like, okay, yeah, I can go there. It would have been, to me, it would have felt like a situation where, you know, in high school, I was so far ahead of the people I was training with. And I just could not foresee me getting any better if I'm already so much, like I'm so far ahead of the people that are already there. So, It was that, and I didn't want to be at home. (laughs) I did not want to stay in Mississippi because I could just see myself at home every weekend, and I didn't feel like I would get that experience that I was supposed to. Even LSU was too close. Um, Mm -hmm. I just did not want to, oh, I'm not feeling it this weekend. I don't like being here this weekend. I'm going to just go home. You know, I wanted to truly get the full experience and to be on my own and to adapt to the collegiate life without having that out. Like I can go home and I can go hang out with my friends mm-hmm. and I can just, you know, treat this kind of like extended high school. Like, yeah, I'm in college, mm-hmm. but I can also go home anytime I want and I can go hang out with my friends and everything is all good. I don't have any, you know, adaptations to make. So, um, I, I mean, Mississippi State is cool. I got a lot of family members there. I got a lot of family members in um, Ole Miss, Southern <laughs> Miss. You know, a lot of my family members stayed in Mississippi, but um, I just thought for what I was looking for, which was to like to be the best and compete with the best, compete against the best. I also want to train with the best as well. And at that time, um, you know, Sanya had just turned professional. She wasn't there when I got there because she left, but Sanya went there and I watched her, you know, have a phenomenal career. Marsha Vett was there, who showed me Robinson was there. It was just stacked. Like the talent was crazy. And it was an option for me and I liked it. So 
I just picked Texas. No reason though. I still love my Bulldogs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I find it interesting when you go into some of these situations and I'm not saying this was your situation, but I know that we, in my club um, team, we were very blessed to have, you know, three young ladies that actually went to the same SEC university at the same time. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say which school it was, but it's a good one. And when they were there, they were outperforming a lot of the previous athletes that were there. And I think some people, when they're thinking about stepping into a major university and looking for that team atmosphere, that can happen. Mm -hmm. But also when you step into that university, those girls and the women and men are were the best in their state in their community they're you know junior olympic champions maybe high school all americans and they're used to not being challenged and that's a big adjustment and especially when you're getting dusted early on mm -hmm. and you've been doing this you know if maybe you're a fifth year senior or fourth you know your senior or whatever and now you got these three freshmen coming in here and lighting everybody up that can create tension and not family Absolutely. And, and it takes a good coach to be aware that that stuff's happening because you know how it is, Bianca, like on oh, that I stuff. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that stuff happens on the sneak sometimes. Like mm -hmm. the coach might not be around and then they'll be like, Hey girl, you know, like, what do you think you're doing? You know, and challenging you, like you're making us look stupid. You know, right. you're running us into the ground. And now, meanwhile, those three girls that were in that program, they were all national champs, state record holders, some of the fastest girls in Missouri history. And they're like, this is how we got this done. We didn't get this done because we were, we were gifted, but not like freaks. We did it because this was the expectation of work. So we're doing what's expected. And there's always kind of that social adjustment in college that's so difficult. I mean, you are a freshman all over again. So I could imagine that would be a challenge. Now, switching gears, but in a related way, the coaches that were good that you felt like you've had in your life, mm -hmm. those good coaches, what did they have in common that you felt like made them great for you? To be very honest, um, the coach, the same coach who coached me during my professional tenure was the same coach that I started with when I was 15 years old. Um, I had my coach before him, his name was coach Donald and he was at Jackson state. He was a college coach. So, you know, he, Turned out some incredible talent um, at Jackson State. And of course, the better they got and the more recruits he got, it kind of got to a point where, you know, he had to put all his focus on there. So he introduced me to um, my coach that I ended up with, you know, from there on after. And I will say those are obviously the best two coaches that I ever had. Um, coach Donald got me at 12 and turned me into the best thing that anybody ever seen like well he would not turn me into but put me on display for everybody to see like you know what you don't know anything about track but trust me you got it and he introduced me to summer track and I traveled the country and traveled the world because he introduced me to something I didn't even know was there for me to do and the thing that he and coach uh my D2 I call him D2 but his name is Daryl <laughs> um and because I had two coach D's so he had a D1 and a D2 so <laughs> Um, D2, he treated it more like he never yelled. I would say that he never yelled. He, it was like a family 
tight atmosphere. And I think anybody who who's ever trained with D2 can attest to the fact that like he's never, he's very understanding. Hey, if you don't have it today, you don't have it today. I can, we can switch it up and we can do something else. It's okay. He never made it. It was just was never like a life or death situation. He let us develop and he let us do things at our own speed and our own pace. We, he had so many athletes who were all individuals. And of course, in between 15 and professional, I did go to college, but I mean, I think the proof is there that I didn't really enjoy it, obviously, or otherwise I wouldn't have taken the option to turn professional in April. I would have just stayed and continued to be there. But like you said, I didn't, the social environment was just not good. And um, I didn't, that's not what I was looking for. So it was kind of like, if I'm going to kind of still be dealing with certain things, then I would much rather to go back to what I'm used to, which is being by myself and doing my own thing. You know, I, that I'm comfortable with that anyways. You know, I just wanted to, you know, do a team. I thought it would be nice, you know, but it, it wasn't what I thought. So um, D2, like again, he's been Michael Rogers. Everybody knows Mike. Um, they've been together for 16 years. And I think it speaks a lot about a coach who can continue to develop athletes after all that time. Um, he takes his time to get to know athletes. So I think that that's what makes a good coach. He just, he's not in it to be, oh, uh, he's a official this coach. He's an official that he's not trying to do all that. He just wants to be a great coach and he wants people to, you know, hey, if you think you got some potential and you want to see how far you can go in this sport, I can help you do that. So I think a good coach is somebody who lets athletes develop on their own and they don't try to push it on them. They don't force it and never make it feel like if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. You know, it was never, it was always like practice is probably was the best part of all of my careers going out there and being with everybody and, you know, just having fun. Of course, my strength coach, same way. We, he made sure it was tailored, especially for us. If he saw your legs heavy one day, we didn't just continue to go. And he's like, oh, no, you need to learn how to push through this. He's like, no, BK, I think we need to back off today. Your legs seem a little heavy. Don't worry. We can still get the work done. But we're just going to do it in a different way. I don't want you to, you know, we were, we were really, really good with preventing injuries. In my whole career, I might have had three or four. Um, and as a short sprinter and with my frame, you would think I would have many more injuries, but I didn't because I had two coaches that always pay enough attention to me to know when like, nah, we good. Like you don't need to worry about it today. So I just think just that type of awareness um, as a coach makes you a great coach. Yeah, that really speaks to this idea. Like they did a study and I've sorry to the listeners because they might have we might have talked about this a couple of times in other podcasts, but when they were asked, they asked a bunch of winter Olympians, um, mm -hmm. you know, whether they had a good coach or not. And then what were the qualities that that good coach had? And what was interesting is it had really very little to do with the workouts and the X's and O's. And it had to do with literally what you just said, listening, mm -hmm. making it fun and knowing that this person genuinely cares about you right. in a one-on-one -on -one situation. It's not like, mm -hmm. hey, we're going to make our career off the back and the butt of Bianca Knight. And I'm going to look mm -hmm. like this great coach for getting this kid to roll around and be dominant, you know, at all these types of levels. Now, kind of a little insider information. Mike Rogers is right up the street from me, you know, he went to <laughs> Berkeley high school. And mm -hmm. so we're big fans of, of Mike in St. Louis and they've got the Mike Roger invite and mm -hmm. his old high school coach was, uh, is one of my good friends, Keith Rhodes. He's an athletic director now up mm -hmm. in our area. So we love Mike Rogers and we love yeah. the fact that that dude's been able to just crush it 
for all these years. And I know he's still chasing that record of, you know, uh, sub 10 100s and, and all that kind of stuff. And it would be fantastic to see him just be the one to solidify that. And I love me some Asafa Powell as well, but you know, I'd like a local dude to be the one who has that record. And that's really cool. I did not, I'd never put that together that that's the same coach that you had Mm -hmm. and and he had. So that's, that's really fantastic. Now you were talking about kind of the individualized nature of your training. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things you did like to do while you were training that made you feel like I'm ready I'm prepared. This is the workout I like to do with D2. Oh my goodness. It's two of them. Okay. So broken quarters. That is by far the one that if I could master that one, I know I was ready. Run a 200, rest 30 seconds, run another 200, rest three minutes, run a 200, rest 30 seconds, run a 200, rest seven minutes. Now in the off season, you will repeat that, but, um, that is a typical to do two sets. But when we were doing it for above race pace, then I just did it one time. I ran a 230 okay. seconds, ran another one. That would be before championships and things like that to kind of see where you was. So that's when we were doing above race pace stuff. But just a typical regular day, then we'll definitely always have two sets of those. So um, if I could come through my first 223 low and come back in 24 or 20, like 24, no 25, or come back in 24, then I knew I was ready. And I only did that a couple of times, but that is extremely hard to do. Um, mm-hmm. But that was one that lets me know, like, okay, cool. Like, if I can come through at 23 low sometime, well, I think my best, maybe I might have came through at like 22.9. I was like, I think if I can, if I can keep this type of stuff up, then... I'm ready. And 250s. 250s being a 200 meter runner is all my always my indicators. Like, okay, cool. If I can run 27 seconds in the 250, then I know I can run 22 in the in the 200. So hey, if I could really, 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 really come through that 222 seconds and then keep going, then I knew I was ready to run well. And um, other than that, those are the only two workouts. Like again, 200 was my event. So doing 200s and stuff at practice or a little bit above 300s. I like 300s too, but um, broken quarters and 250s let me know that, all right, I think I'm ready to roll. If I can hit my time, I'm ready to roll. And I think I said 27 seconds, I'm at 29. Got it. it. No, we're good. We're good. I know how those things can get fuzzy, but that the, the message is still the same. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. That's a unique configuration for sure for those workouts and what's funny is that you know out there right now is this philosophy of like minimal 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 work and and you know some of that yeah you're doing a total of four 200s but it's pretty tough it's concentrated for sure Mm -hmm. so some people say oh that's not a lot it's like well it's concentrated but then there's other people that would say like well that's too much you know they Mm -hmm. should you know Bianca should only be doing like flying 10s 20s or 30s oh no I hated those (laughs) (laughs) and and here you are you're on a world record you know four by one and an Olympic champ and a world champ and it's funny when people sometimes say well this is how this is it's like but but for someone like you you needed a very specific thing that was a very unique construction and I think, again, that speaks to the idea of a good coach builds in the things for their athlete that they need to be successful in training and stuff mm-hmm. like that and, and having that communication with you. And what's cool about that is, from what I'm hearing, is that you really understood that you liked that. It was almost like, yeah, mm-hmm. man, this is going to be tough, but I like it. I know mm-hmm. that I'm ready. I understand that the toughness or the challenge, if you will, 
is necessary to be successful. So expanding on that slightly, then how would your week kind of look? How would you, what would, what would be kind of the themes of your days? Give me like a five day theme type of situation. What would that look like? Yikes. Okay. So obviously, you know, there's preseason and then there's in season and then there's, you know, there's three different phases that you're, you know, ready for. So a typical, we're not getting ready for anything. We're just coming off of, you know, just doing straight grass. We're getting into track workouts. I would say like a Monday would probably, it'll be a heavy day. Coming off the weekend, we're going to weight room. At that time, let's say we're four days a week in the weight room as well. Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, we would probably do some 300s maybe on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then we would probably come back on Tuesday with some more speed endurance, which will probably be consist of, no, I don't know, it's hard because we did, believe it or not, we didn't do it. We didn't have a lot of short days. Most mm-hmm. days, um, depending on what season it is, we're doing 500, we're doing like ladders, we're doing um, speed endurance. We may even do cross fields, which we love those and they're four times. So we'll get on the grass and do some cross fields. Um, We'll probably have about eight of those and we'll have a certain time that we have to hit, things like that. And then middle of the week, we'll kind of get kind of light where we may do some 150s and some 200s and some, uh, what we call the 400 the hard way. So you run 100, walk right. back 50 and you just we made sure we did eight of those so it's eight 100s in total with about mm, 45 seconds in between these babies is long enough time to walk back and get ready to go again right. um so we used to do that and then we'll have a functional day we'll have a day where we're just working or we're going over hurdles and uh opening up our legs and when that day that same day we might do some um some speed ladders and maybe some block work something like that and Thursday is going to be a very very fast day so um if we are doing 200s or 300s or 250s and it's not going to be a lot of them but they're going to be fast and yes and then Friday (laughs) we kind of uh finish that off me you know maybe the same way because typically we'll be getting ready for maybe a meet that weekend or Mm -hmm. just going into the weekend we wouldn't go in overloaded but again like I said you you're a coach so as you know it's so many different phases in the season like if you're getting ready for something it looks different than when you are not getting ready for something so um I mean, I actually write workouts for fun. I should have pulled it up. I think I can. And I even showed D2 and he was like, oh my goodness, you would kill somebody with that workout. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's it's just a, you know. Uh, The pupil has become the teacher, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people ask me the question that you asked. And I was like, you know what? What would I tell people? So Mm -hmm. um, I made like a 200 meter specialist. So if I were to coach some kids right now, then this is what their week would look like. All right, let's hear Monday, it. they would have broken quarters. So mm-hmm. they would do eight 200s with the rest and, you know, the seven minutes in between. That's mm-hmm. what they would do Monday. Tuesday, they would have six 250s. Wednesday would be an active recovery day where we did plyometrics and we just stretched and we kind of listened to our body, kind of see what's going on. And maybe did block work if it was okay, everybody felt good. Thursday, we would do the 100 walk back 50s. 
And then we'll focus on everything. All of this is focusing on form and technique. Nobody's running super blazing times, but we're trying to get down consistency and to get in shape. So mm-hmm. Friday, we'll finish off on the grass with some cross fields for, you know, at a moderate pace, um, good, you know, little endurance day. And then that's pretty much it for the week. And D2 was like, I mean, that's a great workout, but man, you started it off kind of heavy. And I was like... I was like, but so this is like an off-season thing. But I was like, this is in flats. Uh-huh. This is not in spikes. This is not on the track. Right. This is on grass. So they're getting in shape. So it's supposed to look like they're getting in shape. But um, I play around with workouts. Well, Bianca, time. you and I, I just, I'm going to jump in here real quick. And I got to tell you, you and I would get along real well. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's, there's some very similar, similar themes. But carry on. I cut you off. No, you're fine. But yeah, that's, I mean, I volunteer a lot with schools and sometimes the coach is kind of like, I don't really know what to do with them. And then I'm like, okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I think, well, I know, I mean, it, one of the things that my buddy and I, Coach Burris, he coaches Justin Robinson, mm-hmm. who's the world youth record holder on the 400 meter dash. And there's always this kind of conversation about freaks, you know, well, that person's a freak. So they're going to do this. And it's like, well, yeah. And then you got to think like they are a freak, which then does mean that sometimes depending on what they need, that might look freaky, you know, in terms of the level of work. But what I see with what you're saying that D2 did and, and you kind of thinking about how you would put this stuff together is this idea that we talk about as being just above and just below the race distance and intensity all the time. So if you're doing a 200 meter specialist and you're out here running 800s, well, that's not very specific. I mean, like 800 meters, like, you know, mm-hmm. continuous half mile, and, you know, and there's people that do crazy stuff like that. And then there's people who do like nothing over 150 ever, you know, Rogers. right, right. You know, and so, and it's like, but, but that's okay too, depending mm-hmm. on what the event specialty. So like Mike ain't trying to run the 200 anymore. He's trying to run the 100 and go under 10 seconds. So then his training's going to look entirely different due to the speciality of that particular event. And that's when people get frustrated with me when they ask, well, you wrote this big old book. You're talking to all these people like Bianca, like what's the secret? And it's like, well, it's, it's speciality to the particular person, you know, and having good fundamentals, like you got to know your fundamentals, but then those fundamentals got to be applied specifically to the to the to the opportunity which is the athlete right Mm -hmm. so that's pretty interesting all right moving into the olympic experience talk to us about that world record talk to us about being third leg and and taking the baton from one of the michael jordans of track (laughs) and handing it off to one of the you know gosh i don't even know the isaiah thomas is a track you know like these two superstars and then you're this ncaa and high school superstar realizing this amazing moment and you're amongst yourself talk to us about i mean i'm just getting goosebumps thinking back to it because it was such a beautiful moment for me and i mean i was crying i mean you know just because for me as a track and field fan and i'm not you guys you know but i just knew like this is a big deal for american track and field to be able to set the record to break that kind of that curse at the olympics of not getting the relays where they need to be. So talk to us about that whole story, that process, you getting on the team, anything you're willing to share. Um, well, as you know, the same quartet, we broke the pin relays record ahead of the games. So the chemistry we knew was there. 
I think before pen relays, because like you said, Carmelita and um, Allison had other obligations and, you know, they don't really, they running early for them. is kind of like, eh, I kind of want to see where I am, but they have very, very strategic training plans. So when they came there, it was like, hey, look, y'all need to be ready to do just a couple of handoffs because I'm not staying out here all day to do handoffs. So it's like when you're dealing with athletes who is, you know, they are very serious about their training. They're very serious about their time it kind of forces you to kind of get with the program. So uh -huh. me being who I am, I'm like, okay, cool. I, don't, I know I need to get it right um, when I come out here. So Allison does not have to spend half of her time doing all these relay handoffs or Carmelita either. And I was in between them. So it's like, I got to make sure that we can get it right the first time. And mm -hmm. we did. So we did about maybe one or two handoffs and they were like, we're done. I'm good. I, can, I think I'm good. We'll do it fine. We'll be fine tomorrow. And the chemistry felt so good that people started thinking like we ran together all the time. And it's like, no, we didn't. I think we just all understood like, hey, I'm serious about my time and I'm serious. Like, you know what to do. Let's go out here and handle business. So um, we went out there and we did that and we continued to do well. And every time we went to any type of relay camp or any type of situation where they were kind of testing out different girls, testing out different orders, we all kind of felt like the chemistry wasn't the same when we weren't together. Um, I think when we went to Monaco ahead of London for relay camp, um, that team dropped the baton. I don't think they finished. And um, I think it was a, like a blue team and a red team. I think I was on a blue team. We finished, we ended up winning the race and everything. And I think the red team, um, they dropped the baton. And it was kind of then where it kind of started being like, okay, I think we all compete better together. I think that the, the chemistry is just there. We didn't know, we weren't sure. We still had other options. So we had to continue to play with positions and play with, you know, where we wanted people. And ultimately it ended up being us four, the same four from Penn Relays because it was just, it was, we were more comfortable. The coaches were comfortable. The athletes were comfortable. And again, it was just my relay IQ for someone who, and that's why, you know, I always do give myself a lot of credit for that because I never ran a lot of relays. Right. I have never been a relay person. Um, I, I didn't get to do it in college. Um, I probably can sit down if I thought about it and just count how many relays I've ever run on. But then I will also be able to tell you that in two of them, we have a world record and in the others we have stadium records and then 2011 that was the first goal that us the usa got since 2005 so it's like all of the ones that i was a part of was very successful so um i wanted to assure the girls like trust me i can get it done i know how to mm -hmm. get it from allison and i carmelita i carmelita has a very unique hand if anybody mm -hmm. ever watched any of her relays it's like oh my goodness that hand is low <laughs> But it is, it, but I, is she makes you just like, hey, listen, you know it's gonna be low, so yes, but it's still your job to get it in there. So hey, do what you gotta do. And I say, you know what, I got you. So it didn't really matter. I was never stressed. I was not. Allison, her speed is so deceptive. She is mm -hmm. obviously runs like a gazelle. It's so graceful and it's so long, but it is extremely fast. And you cannot mm -hmm. tell that until she gets up on you. So I want to say one of the times when it was a very frustrating practice, um, I did not get out like I was supposed to. And she literally just ran right by me because it's like, okay, well, you're not out. So I got to run around you. So um, it was one of those things like, ah, 
didn't know she was coming at fans. Like I did not even, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't know that. Um, so I got to learn both of them pretty well and it worked out. And I mean, we ended up getting a world record. So it's, it's just one of those things where it was a crazy experience where our chemistry was unmatched and I never ran so comfortably with a group of girls. It was just comfortable. Now, you know, Dan Path talked about, and I don't know if you know, you know, Coach Path probably, uh, you know, he's coached a lot of people over a long period of time. And he talked about when you win a gold medal, it doesn't change a lot of the things you got going outside of the sport, you know, but for you, what, what was going on in your head when they put that gold medal around your neck? What was the feeling at that very moment? It's hard to, it, it honestly felt like I had been there before, which I don't think it should have considered that right. I wasn't. But when I say that, I mean that, you know, the hard work was put in and I felt like we deserved what we earned. So it was more so of a, I mean, it was the reward, the reward at the end. Like, okay, we put in the work. This is the reward at the end. Like, oh my goodness. Like you have watched the national anthem be played a thousand times. It's like, okay, now they're playing it for us. So it was amazing mm -hmm. that, you know, we, every, you know, watching our flag, we raised to the top of the podium and things like that. It, it was a beautiful experience, but at the same time, because I, it was my first Olympics and because I did not know like the history of my sport at the time. I didn't mm -hmm. realize the impact of what we had just done. I didn't realize like we were the first women to ever run under 41 seconds. Like those were things that I didn't know. And so I wasn't as elated. Like when Jet saw we broke the record, mm -hmm. she showed like, oh my God, like look mm -hmm. at what we just did. Tiana, same thing. And it's just like, mm -hmm. Allison, Tiana, and Jet, like they are so excited. And I'm like, we just won. What's going on? And it's like, we broke the world record. And you know, it's, all, it's like, well, what was it before? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I, I'm like, I couldn't, I, I don't know. I wish I would have been able to just, you know, know more about the sport and just be more a student of my sport so I can be excited about stuff like that <laughs> instead of just being excited about the gold medal and the win and things like that, not understanding like, no, this is much more. Like, yes, it's a world record, but trust me, we just did some stuff. And I, I really didn't know. So I was just happy to hear the national anthem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I feel like, not to get all religious, but I am religious, so people are just going to have to deal with it. I feel like God illuminates things for us to pay attention to when we need it and gives us what we need when we need it at that time. So like when mm -hmm. I first started coaching, I had, you know, some really crazy fast girls from Missouri. We broke a bunch of records, all this kind of stuff. And that made me hungry and excited to stick into the sport and to continue to do it. But then mm -hmm. God's like, now you're not going to have anybody for a few years. You know, you're going to, you're going to have to learn to suffer. You're going to be humbled. You're going to have to deal with all this. And then you're going to realize how crazy it was that those kids you had, but now you're going to have to do it on your own. I've right. hooked you. I've hooked you into this. You're going to be an educator and a coach for the rest of your life. But now you're going to have to work for these kids. And for you, I bet now you look back on it, it's a very different, you know, you're probably looking at it with a different frequency and a different perspective. And I feel like listening to your story, to me, it's like, but if you would have had all that stuff on you and you would have known all that, there'd have been a lot more, maybe some pressure or mm -hmm. pushing it and stressing it where this was like, Hey, I'm just doing my job. 
I got to take that hand off. I got to run like a bat out of hell on this curve. And I'm one of the best curve runners ever in world history. And I'm going to hand this baton off to this person who's giving me the craziest hand ever, but she's the fastest female since Flojo in world history. We're going to knock this thing out the park, you know? And I think that almost, and I, you know, they say ignorance is bliss or whatever, but it's just like, you just kind of have this like happiness, like don't put this pressure on yourself and we're going to do it. We're going to get it done. Now, the other cool thing is, when you look at that international competition and you're talking about like Allison, that's one of the things like testing matters so much because you might look at an athlete and say, well, Allison, she should just be like, who knows what she, you know, if a coach had her and didn't test her out, obviously that didn't matter. She's so fast. But, <laughs> oh, right. she's supposed to be an 800 runner. She just looks long. Yeah. She's she long and slender. Like, oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, she's world-class 100 meter, world-class two, world-class four. And it's funny. We got a girl in my program. She's super tall, super long. And people are like, why is she jogging? I'm like, she's not jogging. I said, that is literally her stride. And then they look at the time like, oh, I guess you're right. I'm like, yeah, man. I said, that's why times and having a coach's eye and knowing your athletes. It's so cool. All right. Now talking about knowing stuff and being aware of stuff and all of this, you have built this app. Talk to me about this app that you've designed to get our interest in track and field and to help young people. Talk to me about that. The app is pretty much all of my experiences and all of the questions I've ever gotten from parents, all of the questions I've ever gotten from athletes and coaches put in one spot. And mm -hmm. the way that it's put in that spot is what the niche of the app is, is it builds an algorithm. If, as long as you're logging your workouts in and you're putting basically how we just talked about how knowing what you're running and knowing what workouts let you know you're ready. That's basically what the app does. It helps you figure out, okay, when this, when you did this, this week, this was the end result of that um, at the track meet. Do you let you know it's like, and you look at it as, your, as a coach and an athlete, it's like, okay, did we like that outcome? Or did we not like the outcome? It's like, okay, well, so where is the missing factor? Where is the, where, what do we need to tweak to yield a better outcome? Because that's ultimately what coaches are trying to figure out the right combination of workouts to put together to yield the best results without burning you out, without killing your legs, and you know, without doing too much, it's finding that happy medium. And I feel like you don't know what that happy medium is if you're not tracking it, you're not timing it, you're not actually taking the time to see what's working for this athlete, what's working like, okay, this week, we all did this, but only these couple, like, they did it well, but these, I don't know, they didn't do so well, whatever. So it's kind of like, okay, just for instance, um, like I said, we have Mike Rogers, myself, we have Michael Tinsley, Natasha Hastings, all of us trained together. All of us have different specialties, but all of us were sprinters. He never put all of us together in a group ever mm -hmm. because we are all different athletes, different things work for us. We have different running forms. We have different techniques. We set our races up differently. Everything is different. And if we would have tried to do that stuff together, it would have been beneficial for some one person, but probably not the other. If Tasha and I train together, it would be beneficial for her, but it wouldn't have been beneficial for me. So the app is to help coaches avoid not understanding the athletes as an individual. It will show their progression. Obviously, you see them from meet to meet and say, okay, this is their trend. They're going right. up, they're going down, they're dropping this time. Okay, great. This looks good. These are the workouts we're doing. So this looks like this kind of work for them. And then you can see your other athletes like, I don't know. This one's not really showing that much of a progression, though. Like, I don't really see... 
I don't know, maybe so let me tweak some things. I noticed the workouts we have this week, but let me maybe see if I give them something different, um, then maybe this will work for them because it, it could be that or whatever. So it's to help coaches and athletes train more intuitively the way that you do at a professional level and not just, hey guys, this is what we got today. It's more so like, no, this is what this group needs to have today or this is what these certain sprinters or these certain distance runners or jumpers or whatever need to have today. And I understand that's difficult, um, especially with COVID right now. And that's another good part about the app is because now you can send your ath workouts to athletes and they can kind of get them done, get it done on their own or whatever since you can't be together. But it was mm -hmm. more so of a tool used to say, hey, I know all of us are different. I want to coach the individuality and I know that that brings us together as a whole, as a group of athletes or whatever, because so everybody pays attention to that kid that's out front. Everybody pays attention to that kid that's dropping a second mm -hmm. in two seconds. And this is like, Oh my God, like there, but you probably also have a kid that's shaving off hundreds, tenths and thousands or whatever of seconds each week. And you're not paying them any attention because it's not as significant as that athlete who mm -hmm. dropped a second. So you feel like you got more work to do with one than the other. And on the high school level, if you're not a track school, then your time is limited. You don't really have time to be given three or four different workouts and all of this stuff like that. I just don't have time. I don't feel like doing it or whatever. And it's like, you can kind of have that attitude, but my thing is, you know, treat track like the varsity sport that it is. Track and field is a varsity sport. It is an Olympic sport. It is a college generate money generating sport. You like this is not a, a recreational sport. And when you go to a track meet, you may see football players in the 3200. And then you ask them, it's like, why are you running the 3200? My coach just want me to get in shape. Oh, okay, so what about in the offseason for track? Can I just come out to the football field? And, you know, let me just run a couple of kickoff returns. You know, I, I just want to get in shape. You wouldn't allow that in any <laughs> other sport. You know, it's just like, why do they play around with track and field like that? But you literally cannot do that mm -hmm. in another sport. They won't allow it. But track is kind of like that mm -hmm. free-for-all. It's like, hey, guys, hey, listen, you need to stay in shape. Go out there and just run around a little bit because that's what they assume that we're doing. And it's like, no, mm -hmm. it's actually a lot more to that. And Again, the app is to highlight that stuff, bring the athletes, bring all of the athletes along, not just this one who's showing so much promise so you can jump on their coattails and take credit for all the great stuff they're doing. It's like, no, I would like to see you have a ninth grader who came in and they didn't make it to a state championship two or three years in a row and in their senior year somehow they're they the state champion now. That is progression. Mm -hmm. That is you seeing the potential in the kid and you're doing what you need to do to get the potential out of the kid. And when you have something like my app that can show you, like, no, nah, it wasn't a second, but this D, this guy, this guy dropped a tenth of a second every race. I think that I should pay a little bit more attention to him. Maybe let me try to give him some different stuff um, and challenge him a little bit more and see if we can, you know, get this stuff down. Like, I, cause man, that's crazy. I didn't even realize it. And if you don't see it, you're not going to realize it. So now when you have your athletes all in this spot and you can look at them and you can see like the map, like, oh, wow. Like this kid has really been trending down. Like I didn't even realize that or whatever. So it's kind of like an oversight, and I understand, like, you got your girl squad, you got your boy squad, you got your hurdlers, you got your jumpers, you got your field inventors, you got your pole vaulters, which are their field inventors, but, of course, it's different. The pole vault is a very different um, event or whatever, so you, like, I, I don't, I still cannot for the life of me figure out how they 
get that pole, how they do it. I still do not know. I just feel like I would not go anywhere. <laughs> that is some talent right there. But um, yeah, sure. so when you're dealing with that type of stuff as a coach, you know, I felt like having an app to be able to see all of your athletes together would kind of help out a little bit. And it would kind of help athletes as well to realize like, hey, coach, um, I'm moving up in the rankings. Like, I want to see if I can, you know, I maybe have a shot at the state championship and I kind of want to work towards that or whatever. Because you can see a ranking by the state or whatever. And, you know, maybe you can yield some new state champions by looking and seeing how close they are to making, you know, making that podium. For sure. And, and the thing that, you know, oversight is so important because, and if, if the athletes are the ones who are able to access this and put this stuff in and have that data, then they're doing the job for the coach. But that's kind of a good thing. I mean, because then it's like the coach has no excuse to say, oh, I don't got time for it. It's like, no, no, no. Just go take the athletes and, and look at what progressions are. Look at the workouts. Look at the effect of the workouts in the performance later on. We got track and field is measurable. So like measurable. we should be measuring everything that we do. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and that way, cause I tell you some things I see, like I'll see a kid in a program and they'll improve a ton. And then they mm -hmm. just, that's it. They don't get any better, you know, right. or I'll see, you know, kids and I'm not going to name names, but uh, there are kids out there that come in and they're uber talented right away. And then they don't improve, but yet you get a lot of credit for that kid having success. But then as a coach, what did I do for that kid? I, I don't, I don't feel good about that, you right. know? And sometimes it's like body weight, like, Hey, we, we mm -hmm. get lean, we get fit. You know, that, that happens. We're in an endurance event. There's a lot more scaling up in endurance. They can get better quickly. Great. But in track, when it comes to sprint, the gains that we're getting are so small, which means we've got to be really dialed in. You can't have those football dudes running the you know and that's what i don't like about track and field is people act like it's just like a fitness class right. no this is not a fitness class and we they literally have here. pe for that like just get in the pe class like i don't understand that like why are you using valuable track time and actual track meets to get in shape mm -hmm. like that's crazy to me right exactly and and that's the thing like i've had females in my building i actually had a conversation with one of them you know about a week ago and she's like can i just come out and work out i go yeah you're gonna work out but you're also gonna race so i have to do meets yes i'm not a fitness club we strap on our uniform we wear our colors and we go break people's hearts all around the state at this small little affluent very diverse school because this is what I believe in. I believe in these necessary things to get the best out of you. And I want you to grow the most that you can grow so right. that at the end of the day, whether you're a track star or not, you know, like, hey, I can do something and get mm -hmm. from point A to point B and progress and get there faster and faster yeah. and faster or go farther and farther and farther through this training and have improvements. Like to me, I would rather have I like when kids improve a lot early. Mm -hmm. I like having superstars that that's no doubt. But the fun thing is to see a kid who's pretty good, continue to get better and better and better for the four years that I get the pleasure mm -hmm. to work with them. I want to see that trend, you know, like the stock markets in time, you know, <laughs> and then looking like the stock market in distance when we're talking about throws and jumps. Right. And that's where, that's where it's fun. And so an app like this is, so valuable because then as coaches you're getting this data and then there's a lot of other people that are on there too so you can 
you know, you have access to all of that. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of takes away what you were saying from the social media aspect. It's like, now this is a positive. So it's not like, oh my God, I'm looking at milesplit or athletic.net or tfers or whatever that site is. And these guys are so fast. I'll never get to beat them. It's like, no, no, no. Here's what they're doing. Here's the workouts. Here's mm -hmm. what you're doing. Here's your workouts. The reality of what I was going to say is, is that we compete. This is part of our sport. And this is the reason why we do what we do. You know, if not, then what are we trying to do? And then when people don't take track and field serious, it should be one of the most serious sports because what separates us between elite and not elite is very small, mm -hmm. you know? And um, for someone like you, who's been at all those different levels, I think it's so neat to have someone like you put an application like this together mm -hmm. because it's coming from a track person who understands track and field. Right. And somebody who understands track and field is going to be better able to continue to make this application grow mm -hmm. moving forward. So last question with that, what are your future plans? What are you looking to do? Is this, is this the final stage of this, the final super Saiyan version or what are we doing beyond this with this app and in your career and just in general? Well, outside of the app, I'm going to launch another platform, a web-based platform called Elite Suite. And that is to actually give actual like workouts. I have gotten training tips from Molly Huddle, Corey McGee, uh, Tiana Bartoletta, Brittany Reese, Raven Saunders. Let me see. I hope I'm not missing anybody. It's probably... Uh, Oh, Omar Craddy, so many elite athletes who are willing to give back to their youth community by way of sharing their favorite workout, sharing their favorite tips, showing how they get ready, showing, talking about the adversities that they may have had, you know, coming from between the youth and high school level and then high school to college. Um, so it's kind of going to serve as a platform to better prepare um, these younger athletes for life after high school, it's like, hey, these are the steps that you need to take to receive a scholarship by way of giving academic counseling, letting them talk to counselors, letting them make sure, you know, make sure the clearinghouse is good and um, they got, you know, all of the right credits and they're really looking at colleges with a purpose. It's like, okay, you like this school, but let's say a situation happens like Clemson, which is ridiculous where they cut the program. Um, and I still don't understand how that is even possible. Unbelievable. But yeah, I, I don't really get that. But um, it's almost like, well, it's like, man, well, I hope those kids still would have chosen Clemson outside of track and field because that's kind of the, that's kind of the way kids should kind of go into college. Would you come to this school if you weren't running for them? That way, if something crazy happens or, you know, you've been in a situation like I was, you were unhappy or whatever, would you still go to this school, though? Would you still make it work at this school? And if not, then you need to make right. sure that you're really serious about the school that you pick. You don't have to pick the power fives. You don't have to pick the popular schools. You don't have to do that because the individual, the individuality the track and field has, you can be a national champion from any school. You don't have to go with your entire squad. You can make that right. by yourself. So, you know, be wise in your decision that you make because, you know, that percentage of every, everyone going professional is, is small. So you need to make sure that you can go somewhere where you can get a degree mm -hmm. that you will enjoy and a degree that you can use after the fact if you just so happen to decide not to com compete post-collegially. So... It's more so a resource that's going to be to help them become overall well-rounded 
athletes. And of course, with my foundation, I want to continue to give back to that youth community, continue to provide teams and coaches with the resources that they need financially to buy uniforms and batons and blocks and hurdles to be able to run a successful program. Um, because that that is a good, that's a big motivating factor for kids as well. If you come out there and everything is broken and everything is just not working right and you don't have this, you know, the motivation is low. But if you, as you see, as soon as they paint the stripes on the football field or they refurnish, you refinish the hardwood, kids, they get happy about stuff like that. And I feel like the track team should do the same thing as well because the kids came out and they saw brand new hurdles and brand new blocks, nice shiny baton. I think, you know, it'll give them an incentive. Like it makes them feel like people care about the program and they care about the kids that are in them. So um, other sports do it, track should do it as well. Um, so I want to continue to help with that. and. I did write a movie, so I saw one of your questions. You asked me if I if track just disappeared tomorrow, what would you be doing? And I yeah. would probably be directing movies. I would probably be into film. I took theater in college. I really enjoy film, um, and that's something I've been able to dabble in a little bit more since um, leaving track and field. So that's probably what I would be doing. Awesome, awesome. And you know, it sounds like you've got a lot of plans put in place and it sounds like it's going to be a success because you've got the right why for what you're doing mm -hmm. and in terms of helping out our sport and the thing is is track and field folks that are listening to this we have the highest number of participants of any sport you know in track and field like we need to leverage that we're a sport that helps people be physically fit that's a byproduct of being competitive but we also right. allow people to achieve things who are kind of like, you know, an individual spirit type athlete, you know, you can go out there and make those things happen on your own. You don't need a whole bunch of people. It's nice if they're there for you, but you don't, and you can make it happen. And so with these schools and stuff, it's one of those things I find really interesting that, well, you know, you know, we're going to maybe resurface the track every once, every 20 years, but we're going to redo the turf, you know, every, every five, you know, and it's like, but that's, we're getting the most, this track's getting used all the time by the community, mm -hmm. by all these athletes we're hosting. And it, it is, it's one of those things, a sense of pride in looking the part, being clean, looking sharp, being educated, having the equipment that you need to have, knowing that like, hey, we're not an aftermarket sport. We're right. a premier sport, mm -hmm. you know? And that's really, really important. All right, I, I lied. I got one more question. <laughs> one more question for you, okay? If you could travel back in time, what bit of advice would you give yourself? Um, never stop having fun. Uh, keep it fun. Remember why you started in the first place and always, 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 always lean on it. Cause I really, really do feel like um, once I lost sight of running because I enjoyed it and, you know, I wanted to have fun and things like that, it started to feel like work. Um, just like you said, all of the accomplishments that I had early on was because I didn't know anything. I didn't really know a lot. And it's like the more information I was fed, the more stressful it became. So right. I think that I would have rather stayed kind of 
green about the sport and I wish I could have you know had somebody to keep me away from the internet keep me away from all of the people that's judging me and oh she's this oh she's that oh she needs to lose weight she needs to do this she needs, and this is when I'm running my best when I receive the most criticism so um mm-hmm. I think I, I wish I had people like just a team of people who understood what was going on with trend, the social media making that transition that it was making um to say hey I don't think this stuff is mm-hmm. gonna be good um, she's not used to this and um, she's easily disturbed with comments and things like that. She doesn't like, she doesn't like it. She doesn't like it. So um, I don't think the internet is going to be a good place for her right now. And I didn't have that because people didn't realize when Track Shark, <laughs> when Track Shark was around, mm-hmm. oh my God, mm-hmm. they had like a 20 page thread dedicated to talking about my weight and they paid her too much money and they did this and they did this. And I'm like, what is mm-hmm. this? Like what, what? So it's just one of those things where um, I wish that I could have kept the fun in it. And I wish that I had somebody to sit me down way ahead of time. Like, hey man, listen, people gonna say stuff and you're not always gonna like it, but why did you run track? Why did you start competing? You was just having fun, right? You didn't even know about track. So keep having fun, keep enjoying yourself and get as serious about it as you wanna be. If you don't wanna be this serious and this is too much for you, then that's okay, that's fine. Um, you know, have fun and enjoy yourself. So I wish I would have had somebody to tell me that before I had made the decision to leave. And then that's when everybody was telling me that. I was like, ah, it's too late now, I'm gone. <laughs> well, you know, in the old words of Jay-Z, you know, you got to brush them haters off. It's one of those things that's really hard to do. The younger we are at the highest part of our profession, the more difficult it is mm-hmm. because people feel like they need to chime in and they're trying to steal your shine by trolling you mm-hmm. and ruining your day and getting attention from you by doing that. It's, it's, it's so funny because it's like rooted in this like very immature, hateful place that we see with little kids like in elementary school. Yeah. You know, and it sucks because we feel that like if somebody comments about my book negatively, you know, or and I know where I'm at with my ability to write and not to write and you know, I overcame a learning disability to, to write this book. And there are people that are like, ah, oh, you know, this, there's something here, you know, he didn't have an aspersan and this, it's like, who cares, you know? And, and when you get older, it doesn't bother you as much. Cause you're like, man, I was good to go. I was all right. I was running my fastest that I ever run at my size. And when I talk to young ladies, you know, we talk about weight. I'm like, look, don't ever pay attention to that number on the scale. That thing's going to go up and down all the time. What I want to pay attention to, the number that matters to me the most is that freaking track. Mm -hmm. What's going on on that track? Are you the fastest you've ever been? Good. You're 15 pounds heavier? Good. You're five pounds lighter? Good. You know, there's no such thing as a, as a perfect body. And and that's why beauty is such a cool thing because beauty comes in all shapes, sizes, and forms. And so Mm -hmm. does speed. And Mm -hmm. that's what's so (laughs) sexy. (laughs) (laughs) about speed is it can come in so many different ways and so many different packages and that's what's so cool you know and that's what makes track and feel great and and you're right man all these young kids you know that social media stuff is tough man it's it's tough and we almost need like a social media survival school you know and and then yeah for real (laughs) and until that time though people like you that are bringing out value and putting together Uh, content that's going to help young people be able to survive this, figure out college, figure out training when they got nobody to train with, providing opportunities for money, for programs to raise up the sport that was so good to you and good to me and many others. Mm -hmm. And and that's great. 
So talk to me and tell the audience where they can catch up with you and uh, meet up with you and stuff we can put in the show notes to share so people can get involved and get on board with all of this that you're doing. Okay, perfect. My foundation, the Bianca Knight Foundation can be found at bkfgives.org. And there you can donate or you can just skim the content and kind of see what I'm doing and check out what I'm doing. And if you think you know a school that may qualify for a financial grant, then write me in and um, I'll try to see if I can make it happen for them. Social media, I only have a Twitter. I have a Facebook, but I don't use it, but I only have a Twitter at Miss Bianca AK. <laughs> and um, BK Track Stars, they can be found in both of your app stores. It is a free app, it's free to download. Um, it's for coaches, parents, and athletes. Anybody who has any questions, I'm actually a part of the tech support team. There's three of us, so we handle a lot of requests daily. But I think people who've been on so far can say that we kind of answer and solve your question in probably a day or two, even sometimes in the same minute. So um, just write in, let me know what's going on, and we can get it done. So how we help do this and get this going is by having a lot of audiences and scaling stuff up and getting this word out for everybody out there. So thank you again for being on here. And remember, audience, be safe, be smart, make good decisions. We love you. Peace out.